0: They're getting settled back there. We're going to be talking about the subject really of um, what's to come ahead, the future, okay? Um, but it's in light of comforting one another. Okay? If you would turn to First Thessalonians chapter five. First Thessalonians chapter five. And we're going to read verses one through eleven. And if I could get a volunteer to read that. Volunteer to read 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. We'll have a word of prayer first, and then we'll uh, read the scriptures. All right. Father, we do thank you for your wonderful blessings in life, as we commonly say, but Father, uh, may we really realize how good you are to us. And Father, we have things awaiting for us and wonderful things. And we can comfort one another as a church and uh, to other Christians, Lord, because of the great truths that are in your word that you gave us. And so, Father, help us to study this subject well tonight of comforting one another, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All
1: right, Andy. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together, and Edify
0: one another, even as also you do. All right, thank you, Andy. You know, um, as we talk about this word comfort, we're going to find in 1 Peter and 2 Peter that that's a big theme that's going to be uh, through those. And there's some verses here and in, uh, in, in those books um, that we will go over. But the book kind of starts out with how we live in a constantly changing In tumultuous society, often we personally experience pain, uncertainty, and heartache. Natural disasters seem to be occurring constantly. Hurricanes, earthquakes, tsunamis, wildfires. And because the writing of the book, they didn't, the date of it, probably they didn't include COVID. (laughs) Now, all of us prefer comfort to pain. Now, I should get an amen from that. There we go. All right, perhaps the place, I don't, maybe I shouldn't go here, but the place we sense our greatest need for comfort is in the dentist's chair. <laughs> if the dentist is going to fill a cavity or do a root canal, or extract a tooth, we want every bit of comfort he can give us in the form of numbing drugs. But those even come with pain. So given the choice, we'd almost always choose comfort over pain, but the reality of life is that pain is inevitable. When people go through trials in life, they turn to all kinds of therapy for comfort, from shopping (laughs) to yoga. I think I heard Tim, my son Tim, talk about doing some yoga. (laughs) To drugs, to food. Their choice of therapy may be different, but their aim is the same, to dull their pain. Sadly, many times in seeking comfort, people go to the wrong place. As believers, we have the blessed privilege of having the Spirit of God within us who comforts us in our time of need. As Jesus was about to leave His disciples, He promised to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who would be in them. Today, we have trust... We who have trusted Christ as our Savior have the Holy Spirit within us, and He comforts us in times of pain and difficulty. John 14, 16 through 17 says, And I'll pray the Father, and He shall give you another comforter, that He may abide with you forever. Boy, then that's just, you know, you just kind of want to stop and think about that. I like that word, forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, but ye know Him, for He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Additionally, God has given us promises of His Word, which assure us that we are on the path to victory. These promises also give us comfort. In today's study, we're going to learn from a text that provides a promise that God specifically says will bring us comfort as well as a truth with which to comfort one another. So we're going to start off with... Number one here, the believers. In the three main points, I'll start with a C conviction. Conviction. The believers' conviction. Because of the promise that God shares in this text, we can have a settled conviction that brings comfort to our hearts. What is this promise? It is the Lord's imminent return. He could come at any moment. We, we see this in verses 1 through 5 of our text. As a Christian, one of the great convictions we have is that Jesus Christ is coming again. The Bible tells us that the day of the Lord will come suddenly as a thief in the night. But we are the children of light. This is not the false light of following the light within you, but it is the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. By contrast, those who do not know the Lord, they sit in darkness. Psalm 107, 10 through 11 says, Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High. These are the people who need Christ. Isaiah 9.2 The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath the light shined. And we know who that is talking about. Jesus Christ coming into the world. When a person receives Christ as his Savior, he sees the light of Christ's glory and his salvation. Christ's spirit dwells in him and he begins to develop new beliefs based on God's word, he begins to understand the happenings of his day in a different light because he is no longer of the darkness. Do you remember when you were a child and the night light in your room cast strange shadows? Your imagination ran wild and you saw things, perhaps even monsters, that didn't exist. All your parents had to do was flip on the light switch. And your perspective changed. The light showed you reality. And we might say that the presence of mom or dad flipping on the light did, did a little bit too. And applies in this case. This is how it is for us as Christians. Those who do not know Christ can't see the spiritual realities of life, but we who have been illuminated by the light can. What are the comforting truths the Holy Spirit re- reveals to the believer? One is the imminent what? return, the imminent return of the Lord, you know, and as we go through these things and we can comfort one another, we can also comfort, you know, like up at close to home for those who know the Lord, you know, we can comfort them with that, you know, because death and uncertainty can seem so uh, difficult, Christians believe in the Lord's imminent return, which is a great and comforting truth for us. The Bible tells us that we are to look with hope for the return of Christ. The day of the Lord spoken in verse 2 of our text refers to an extended prophetic time in which God will finish His program with Israel as well as the judgment. He will send, that brings us, this world to an end. Notice, This parallel passage in 2 Peter 3. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day wherein... The heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Now, several events will take place during this day of the Lord, and they will begin, it all begins with the rapture of the church. We have events during the day of the Lord, the seven-year tribulation. This is a time the Antichrist will offer peace at first, but this will quickly be followed by sudden destruction, judgment, and terrible wars and pain during the tribulation. Jeremiah 30, 7-9, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it, even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. For... It shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off thy neck and will burst thy bonds. And strangers shall no more serve themselves of him, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. Daniel 9:27. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice of the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even until the consummation, and that determined and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. And then Revelation 3.10, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Now, that's talking about the church in Philadelphia there I believe um, he's going to keep them from that hour the church the true church the ones who, who know Jesus Christ you know one of the things I think about in Revelation where it talks about those who, who read and understand that they're blessed because they're not going to be a part of it okay that's the big blessing <laughs> we're not going to be part of that tribulation The second coming of Christ, there's a seven-year tribulation as followed by the second coming of Christ. At first, at His first coming, He came as a baby who then took away our sins on the cross. The day of His return, however, is the great day of His wrath when the armies of the world come against the Lord in the battle of Armageddon. Believers raptured just before the tribulation will return with the Lord. So the Lord's going to come back in the rapture where He comes, but He doesn't come down to earth, but we're drawn unto Him. His second coming refers to the time when He comes for judgment upon this earth. Revelation 19:11 through 12 and 15, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he thought Judge and Make War. His eyes were as a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns, and he had a new name written that no man knew but he himself. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Then there is the thousand-year reign on earth by Jesus Christ. It's called the millennial reign. And we'll see believers live and reign with Christ for a thousand years. This is after the great tribulation. Revelation 20 verse 4. And I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. And which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. That's hard to, to get our minds wrapped around. I mean, you know, we have this hundred years here, which is everything to us, but there's going to be uh, seven years of, of tribulation. And then there's going to be a thousand years where Christ reigns and Satan's put, uh, put away for that thousand years. Then we're going to have Satan's final defeat. At the end of the thousand year reign, Satan is defeated and cast into the lake of fire forever, and when a thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. The number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breath of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. <laughs> like I Mike said, it just God kind of speaks and Judgment's done. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. It's kind of an interesting scene. It kind of reminds you, you know, of you have the big evil guy who's done something. He's bailed out. He's set aside. He can't go away until his trial comes up. And it's like, here comes Satan's trial his final conviction, and boom, he is set into the lake of fire. After this, there's a great white throne judgment. This is a time when all who have rejected Christ will stand before the Lord for the final day of judgment. These people will be cast into the lake of fire. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, Stand before God. And the books were open, And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged. Every man, again I've talked about this before, according to their works. The saved aren't going to be judged according to their works, if they're going to be judged according to if they believe Jesus Christ or not. And so they won't be, we, it's not our works that we're going to bring before God. But the unsaved, they will become short because they will have their works which will never earn them salvation. And death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Then there's this destroying and renewing of the universe. Now, I've heard some people, you know, talk like this world's going to last. For, well, everybody's trying to save the world today, right? And, uh, uh, you know, all the, the things that are talked about that and, and and keeping it for our next generations, how foolish that is. And God's going to take care of this earth and he's going to destroy it one day. You know, this is a sin-cursed earth. He's not going to try to, like, fix it up. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's not his mode. It wasn't his mode that we would fix ourselves up and be something just a little better to earn salvation. He, was, he wiped the slate clean. It's something we couldn't do, only Jesus could do, only perfection of, of Jesus Christ, his blood that cleanses us from all our sin. And this earth is sin-cursed. Again, it's not a rehab project. He's going to destroy it and make A new earth, new heaven and earth. Revelation twenty-one, one, and I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Second Peter three, ten through eleven, and it's kind of interesting that Peter gets this revelation uh, from God. I don't know of anywhere else where it's really listed of what's going to happen with this earth. But it says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. Sometimes we read over this. It's going to be a great noise. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Then there's the eternal day of the Lord that'll come the arrival of the new heaven and earth ushers in the eternal day of God when we will live in heaven forever everything will be perfect at that time 2 Peter 3:12 through 13 looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat nevertheless we according to his promise look for new heavens and a new earth Wherein dwelleth righteousness. Man, we long for that day. We struggle so much. Paul, you know, when we're in this body, we fight this this sin and difficulty all through our life. But there's coming a day of righteousness. Verse 2 of our text describes the timing of the day of the Lord as a thief in the night. Similar to a thief who can come at any time of the night, the day of the Lord is unknown and imminent. I remember that's the, when he comes, that's after we're raptured out, okay? After uh, the great tribulation, he's going to return. And those people, and you'll read it, they're going to look, because they think they've got it in control, and then they're going to see Christ coming. And all I can describe it is their reaction. Um, I can't get to it right in the scripture right now, but it's like, oh, No it's like they know what's coming they have messed up first thessalonians 1 10 and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead even jesus which delivered us from the wrath to come first thessalonians four sixteen through 17 for the lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of god and the dead in christ shall rise first Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, 17 speaks of the rapture that happens before the tribulation, or it's called the catching up of the saints to meet Christ in the air. The Bible says that those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up to be with Him forever. I have kind of an illustration here. Imagine a planter box full of bark, dirt, and nails. When you bring a large magnet over the box, the nails, which have the same nature as the magnet, I like how that's described, would suddenly be drawn up to the magnet. The dirt and bark would remain below, but the nails would be caught up to the magnet. Similarly, when Jesus comes again, He is going to attract and call all of us who have His Spirit in us. We are going to be caught up to be with the Lord It is an imminent event that we look forward to. As Christians, we have a conviction that this world is going to end according to God's design and that Jesus is coming in to take us believers away. The conviction that we will be spared from wrath to come and be caught away with the Lord, that gives us comfort. That gives us comfort. So we have the imminent return of the Lord and we have the empty what of world power? Did I say empty? Gave you a good hint. <laughs> <laughs> <The> empty promise <laughs> of world power. I'll tell you what, it looks like the worlds get controlled, but it doesn't. Besides the conviction of the Lord's imminent return, the believer is also convinced of the empty promise Of world power. Verse 3 says, For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. When Christ takes the church away, the world leaders will say peace and safety. The Antichrist is going to act as though everything is fine. World leaders have made empty promises of peace in the past. After World War I, Woodrow Wilson said it was the war to end all wars. <laughs> that is what every great kingdom from the Egyptian kingdom to the Greek kingdom has said. These were large kingdoms. They thought they had finally brought peace to the entire world. However, none of them succeeded. The Egyptian, from 1570, 1570 to 1070 B.C., the Assyrians from 911 to 609, The Babylonian, Nebuchadnezzar, 605 to 539. Persian, rule in 539 to 330 BC. Greek, Alexander the Great, from 330 to 63 BC. The Romans, from 63 BC to 476 AD. Mongol, Genghis Khan, 1206 to 1368 AD. The Ottoman, Turkish, from 1299 to 1923. That's pretty long, right? British from fifteen hundred to nineteen sixty A.D. French Napoleon from eighteen o four to eighteen fifteen. That was a little short one. Austria-Hungarian eighteen sixty seven to nineteen eighteen. World leaders are still saying peace and safety, but verse three of our text tells us that the tribulation is a time of sudden destruction. Destruction in this verse means death or ruin and it will come suddenly as of travail upon a woman with a child. The Greek word translated here, travail, refers specifically to a woman in the pain of childbirth. Jesus used the, name word in Math, the same word in Matthew 24, 8, translated sorrow when He was referring to the tribulation. Additionally, It is the Greek equivalent for the phrase, the time of Jacob's trouble in Jeremiah 37, which also speaks of the tribulation. God warns us that sudden destruction is coming, but as we will see in the following verses, He gives us the promise that we will be saved from the wrath to come. So we have the believer's conviction. We have the believer's caution. Good job. The Bible is clear that believers will not be part of the coming destruction. God tells the church of Philadelphia in Revelation 3.10 that because they have kept His word, He will preserve them from the wrath to come. Revelation 3.10, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. While we as believers are spared from the wrath to come, we need to be ready... For his return, God tells us of his imminent return, partly to give us comfort and partly to caution us to live circumspectly, so that we will be prepared for his return. We are to what was it? Awake. We are to awake. In verses six through seven, God instructs us to remain alert. The word sleep in verse 6 means to drop off to sleep, to fall asleep, to yield, to sloth. When we are asleep, we are not aware of our surroundings. Believers are instructed to watch or to be vigilant, to keep awake for the Lord's return. 1 Corinthians 15, 34, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. God calls on us to awake to righteousness and be alert and ready for His coming. We need to redeem the time, live for Christ, and share with others the gospel. South Korea is a country that is highly vigilant and prepared for emergencies. At any moment, a war with North Korea could happen. For this reason, South Koreans live in a state of constant vigilance and are used to observing curfews and participating in emergency preparedness drills. In school, students prepare for emergencies with evacuation drills. It is this level of alertness to which God calls us in in light of His return, not out of fear, but out of a desire to be ready. Not only are we called to be alert, but also to remain temperate. Verse 6 says, let us be sober." which means to be temperate, circumspect, calm, and collected. When someone is drunk, he is not paying attention. He is unaware of his surroundings. As Christians, we need to be focused, watchful, and ready as we wait for Christ's return. Mark 13:34 through 36 For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at even, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. We need to examine our lives to see if we are truly living in the light of Christ's return. If we have an unsaved friend, we should tell him about Christ. If we are bearing a grudge against someone, we should forgive. If we are distracted by the world, we should focus on eternity. It's easy to fall asleep in this, in this world and just doing the things and, of life. But we need to have our eyes that Christ is coming. So we are to awake and we are to prepare. most important thing we need to be sure of before Christ's return is our salvation our children you know that's one thing we have here at church we have our children we need to make sure that they're uh, going to be saved and they understand what true salvation is if you're not saved you're not prepared for his coming Verses 8 instructs believers not only to be sober, but also to be put on the hope of salvation. Our preparation for Christ's return involves putting on the breastplate of His righteousness and the helmet of salvation. Ephesians six fourteen and 17, Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having the breastplate of righteousness and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. If you notice, verse 8 of our text says to put on for an helmet the hope of salvation. Now, this hope means a confident expectation. We do not have to doubt our salvation, but can be confident that we are saved. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Man, there's some comfort there. That it's, it's being confident that He which hath begun a good work, Christ, the Holy Spirit, who's begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's not us that does. It. It's God Himself. We can prepare for the Lord's return by being sure of our salvation and that we are spiritually awake and alive, living for the Lord. So we have the believer's conviction, the believer's caution, and now we have the believer's. That's a good word, but it's not the one used. Comfort. comfort. All right. The believer's comfort. Despite the impending doom of the end of the world and the coming tribulation, We as believers can draw comfort from God's promise that we will not experience the wrath to come. We are saved from His wrath. We are, first of all, what from wrath? Good word, but not the right one. Preserved. We are preserved from wrath. Verse 9 tells us that God has not appointed us to wrath. The word appointed means to set, place, fix, establish, ordain. God has not ordained that we should go through His wrath or judgment in the, fir- in the future. In 1 Thessalonians 1.10, we are given the assurance that Christ has delivered us from the impending wrath. It says, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. And these are comforting words. This is, this is all about comfort, this uh, lesson here. So we are preserved from wrath and we are what? Promised. Promised, good. Eternity with him. The believer's comfort is not only the fact that he is saved from the wrath to come, but also in the blessed promise of spending eternity with Christ. Verse 9 tells us, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. The word obtain means to preserve, possess, or purchase. Salvation means deliverance or safety. We obtain our eternal salvation in Christ. God's plan is not to experience, for us to experience wrath, but to receive salvation. We have been given salvation through Jesus Christ and will receive deliverance from the tribulation when we are raptured and glorified with Christ. Verse 10 speaks of Christ who died for us. Jesus shed his blood on the cross and died for us so that we can be forgiven, escape from the suffering of judgment, and spend eternity in heaven with him. You know, that's something that we can glorify God with to others. Verse 10 goes on to say that Christ died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. We also know that we should die, should we die before the rapture, we'll go directly into the presence of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.8, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Jesus has promised to prepare a place in heaven for us. What a comfort it is to know that we'll live forever with the Lord. When our earthly life ends. Philippians three twenty and 21. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Our conversation is in heaven means that our lifestyle and thoughts are already focused toward heaven. God promises those who trust in Him a new body, a new home, and an everlasting life in heaven. In addition to this promise of eternal life, the Bible tells us we can know for sure that we possess eternal salvation. It's another place where people struggle, but this is comfort when God's given us this comfort. 1 John 5.13 These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So we are comforted, because we are preserved from wrath. We are promised eternity with him, and we are what? Comforted. got some tricky words here, comforted by his truth. With the promise of eternity with the Lord, believers can be comforted by his truth. Verse 11 says, wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even also you do, as also you do. The word wherefore points to the previous verse. It is saying because of what we just covered, comfort yourself because we have been saved and spared the wrath to come, because we know that we are going to spend eternity with God. We can comfort and encourage one another with these truths. The word comfort comes from the Greek word parakaleo which is also used for the Holy Spirit. It means to come alongside, to exhort and encourage, to strengthen, and that is what the Holy Spirit does for us. He comes alongside us, encourages, and it strengthens us. God instructs us likewise to come alongside one another to comfort each other in the power of His spirit. If you know of someone who might be going through a difficult time, you should go to that person and comfort him. There's five ways which we can comfort others. Let's see if you can come up with them. Edify. We talked about this uh, before. It means to build up, to establish, to promote growth. We edify each other as we go out of our way to encourage, another, encourage other Christians, building them up in the Lord. There's another one. Remind. We are to remind each other that we serve a God who comforts, and cares for us blessed be the God even the father of our Lord Jesus Christ the father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforteth us, us all in our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God and then we can pray we can pray Sometimes we can't be there. Uh, we talked about Peter who was who was locked up and who was going to be killed and they all, though they couldn't be there, they, they prayed uh, for him. And we can pray one for another. Per- Hebrews 13, 18 said, pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. The other thing we can do is Remember, remember, God has given us many promises in his word. Uh, You have a pretty good book, don't you, Have a mom of, it kind of just, it's kind of like a remembrance book of what God's promises are in his word. Sometimes we overlook all those things, all those benefits that he's promised us regarding our salvation, the gift of eternal life, the supply of our needs and we can remember these and therefore bring comfort. 2nd Peter 1:4 whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And then we have one more here. give another way we comfort others is by giving to their needs could be just be simple thoughtful gesture of a cup of coffee to get uh, don't uh, forget the coffee thing uh, yeah. nice cherry coke that's much different <laughs> okay, it could be a cup of coffee or maybe giving to a financial need in their life you know it could be it doesn't have to be big it it could be something small it's just what's needed at the time to give we we comfort one another. Acts twenty thirty five. I've showed you all things. How that's so laboring, you ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he said, "It is more blessed to give than to receive." It's kind of interesting. I was talking with A J. and he he's you know been thinking through his mind about some some things and and life and. He told a story, I think I've probably heard this story, maybe you have before, of this great fisherman. He's a really good fisherman. Um, He's, you know, out on this island or whatever, and he goes out and he catches one fish every day, and he brings it back, and uh, he cooks it, and uh, he shares it with his friends in the evening, and they have a good time and and so forth. Well, uh, an American comes and tells him how, hey, he is so good at fishing, he could teach this. He could go out and catch a lot of fish. He could buy some boats and, you know, he could do all these things and then, you know, he could invest in the stock market. And and uh, so the guy asked me, he says, well, how long would that take? And he says, uh, probably about 20 years, you'll be set. He said then what do I do then? He said, well, and he said, you can take your ease and do what you want. You can, you know, just have a fish and invite your friends over. He said, well, I've been doing that the whole time <laughs> but there's one thing that's missing about that there's the opportunity to give and you're you're missing blessings if you just want to limit your life to you and yourself and a few few friends well you're you're, so, you're somewhat limited in life the greatest things are the ability to give Conclusion, life is full of trials and challenges. But as believers, we have the assurance of the truth, which we can comfort one another. We can take comfort that the promise of the Lord's imminent return. He's coming. No matter what people say, He's coming. We rest in the hope that our earthly problems are only temporary, that we will soon spend eternity with the Lord in heaven. Because we know the Lord may return at any moment, We endeavor to live with spiritual alertness and readiness to meet Him. Finally, knowing we are saved, heaven-bound, and promised eternal life, we comfort one another with these truths. A better day is coming for us who believe, and this is the comfort that we have to give one another in Christ. Let's pray. Father, the lesson to be a comfort, to comfort ourselves with Your Word, to comfort others, as well, and, and the ability you give us to do that—we show that you are in control. We are able to have peace and patience through all these trials that the world uh, cannot have. We'll be raptured one day if you don't—if uh, we don't die before you come back, and then, then even then, we'll be raptured out. From the grave, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then all the tribulation will come. And we have Satan being cast into hell for a thousand years, a rule and reign of Christ on this earth. Then the final trial of Satan, and he's thrown in to the lake of fire. The judgment of all those who would not believe in Christ. And the promise of eternity, this old earth, the heavens will pass away and a new heaven, new earth will come and eternity will be perfect for us one day. We are to keep this in mind and we are to remind ourselves, remind others and live in that hope, that sure hope that is to come. Father, help us to live that way for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen you are dismissed.